Welcome to Murder Bucket, the podcast where I dive deep into murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. I'm your host, Hannah. Let's see what I'm going to pull out of the bucket this week. Tonight's episode is going to be a little less gruesome, a little less murdery, but a lot more weird. Tonight, I will be telling you all about the weirdest museums around the world. The Plastinarium in Gubin, Germany. This museum is in a former cloth factory that was renovated and equipped with a fully operational plastination laboratory. Gunther von Hagens studied medicine, dissection, and chemistry for 39 years. He completed his first whole-body plastinate in 1992. He then founded the Private Institute for Plastination in 1993. The displays are collected from body donors who sign a contract allowing him to plastinate their bodies after their death. The process involves removing most of the water from the dead tissue and replacing it with synthetic polymers that preserve the bodies. He was able to perfect plastination. The museum allows visitors to tour the lab where they can witness the graphic process of plastination. They can also view a showroom of humans and animals in creative poses. The museum also supplies the Touring Body Worlds exhibit with new displays and provides upkeep for their existing ones. In 2010, Dr. Gunther Van Hagens decided to dedicate an entire exhibit to Body Worlds of Animals and created the Animal Inside Out exhibition. That same year, he made a public announcement of his Parkinson's disease. The Momofuku Ando Instant Ramen Museum in Osaka, Japan. Momofuku Ando invented the world's first instant ramen noodles in 1958. He researched the process for an entire year in his backyard using common tools you would find from your shed. Chicken ramen was dubbed Magic Ramen and became a popular sensation. In 1971, he created cup noodles on a fact-finding trip to America. He saw people breaking up the ramen, putting them into cups, adding hot water, and then eating them. Momofuku realized that moving past conceptions about how we eat was the key to making instant ramen a global food. In 2005, he then created the Space Ramen. It is based on the hot oil instant drying method that he invented in 1958. He is considered the father of instant ramen. Momofuku Ando died of heart failure at the age of 96 on January 5, 2007. The museum features several different exhibits and attractions, such as the Chicken Ramen Factory, where you can enjoy making chicken ramen by hand. There's also the Cup Noodles Factory, where you can create your completely original cup noodles package. You can create the cup you design, select your favorite soup, and toppings. Altogether, there are over 5,460 flavor combinations. Next, you can visit the exhibit called The Birth of Chicken Ramen. This is a recreation of the shed where Momofuku invented the world's first instant noodles. You can check out the Cup Noodles Drama Theater, where you can sit inside an interactive theater in the shape of a cup noodles package. Next, you can walk into the Instant Noodles Tunnel, where about 800 product packages show how a single product introduced more than half a century ago grew into a global dietary culture. 
the Museum of Bad Art in Somerville, Massachusetts. The museum was established in 1994 by antiques dealer Scott Wilson. It is privately owned and its aim is to celebrate the labor of artists whose work would be displayed and appreciated in no other forum. Currently there are three locations in Somerville, Brookline, and South Weymouth. While they have 800 pieces in their collection, only about 50 to 70 are shown at a time. Several pieces that are highlighted on their website are Lucy in the Field with Flowers, Sunday on the Pot with George and Bone, and Juggling Dog in a Hula Skirt. Lucy in the Field with Flowers was discovered between two trash cans on a Roslindale area curb in Boston. The frame was initially of interest, but then a friend of Wilson's wanted both the art and the frame. When Wilson found another equally lovely piece of art, he shared it with his friend and they decided to start the collection. Their first exhibit was held in their basement and was the start of the Museum of Bad Art. The gallery is currently closed for renovations with no reopening date announced. Museum of Bread Culture, Ulm, Germany Father and son Willie and Hermann Ezelin wanted a special site dedicated to the doughy friend of breakfast. In 1960, they opened their exhibit and it remained a private institution until 1991 when a charitable foundation took it over. At the same time, the museum moved into a historic storehouse in the center of Ulm. The museum housed 16,000 artifacts related to the history of bread, but not actual bread. There are over 6,000 pieces of written works that give a comprehensive description of bread in its many forms. The museum contains the largest collection revolving around bread history. Visitors can also see displays of baking tools and learn about bread's importance to food and security. Their website states, Bread itself does not form part of the collection, reflecting the museum's founder's firm belief that bread is not a museum artifact, but a food freshly baked each day. The foundation caring for the museum helps fund research on nutritional deficits. The Underwater Museum in Cancun, Mexico Originally known as Musa, the Underwater Museum attracts more than 75,000 visitors a year. It's an initiative that was trying to divert ocean divers who were disrupting the balance of underwater fauna in the Caribbean coastline. The director of the Cancun National Marine Park, Jamie Canto, brought in British sculptor Jason Taylor and a group of Mexican artists as well as 500 statues with pH-neutral marine concrete. They were anchored into the ocean floor. The museum offers exhibits with an eco-twist. There are three galleries that showcase a variety of themes reflecting the subtle nuances of the fishing community. The balance between nature and mankind is made through its solitary human sculptures. They offer several unique ways of viewing the exhibits. You can either enjoy them while snorkeling diving, or riding in a glass boat. While on tour, you can see the sculptures called The Anchors, Icebreaker, Reclamation, Holy Man, and The Gardener of Hope, as well as many more. They do request that you do not bring any plastics or other resources that could interfere with the sanctity of their preservation site. They also ask that you do not touch the sculptures and do not disturb the marine life. Vent Haven Ventriloquist Museum in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky. 
A Cincinnati businessman and amateur ventriloquist, William Shakespeare Berger, started his collection when he purchased his first figure in 1910, and from there he spent nearly 40 years gathering his collection. At first he kept them in his home, but when the collection grew, he renovated his garage in 1947, and then built a second building in 1962. From 1940 to 1960, he was the president of the International Brotherhood of Ventriloquists. With his leadership, the organization grew from 300 members to over 1,000. He opened the museum in 1973, and it now houses more than 900 dummies used by ventriloquists from the 19th, 20th, and 21st centuries. Currently, it is the world's only ventriloquist museum, and it has everything from dummies puppets, photos, scripts, memorabilia, playbills, posters, recordings, and more. It is only open from May 1st to September 30th, and you must have an appointment. They also host the annual convention, a ventriloquist meeting that attracts professionals and enthusiasts from all over the world. When you do visit, you will meet Lisa Suisi, the curator. She is an energetic encyclopedia of facts and history. Leeds Castle Dog Collar Museum in Kent, England. The museum is located in the former stable and squash court of the Leeds Castle. It was started in honor of the former owner, Lady Braille. There are over 130 rare and valuable collars on display at the museum that date back to the late 15th century. The oldest collar in the collection is a Spanish iron herd mastiff's collar and it was worn for protection against wolves and bears that were roaming in Europe in the 15th century. In 1977, Gertrude Hunt presented more than 60 collars to the Leeds Castle Foundation in memory of her husband. Her collection was from all over Europe, dating from the 16th century all the way to the 19th century. The museum's collar collection ranges from ones with spikes that look like torture devices to very intricate ones with their family's coat of arms. While you're there, you can visit the Leeds Castle that was once occupied by Henry VIII and learn about 900 years of the castle's history, as well as walk around the maze and the grotto. Fredericks of Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. In 1947, Frederick Mellinger, who was the inventor of the push-up bra, opened an American lingerie retail chain that had a vast array of hosiery, bridal lingerie, and special occasion lingerie, with many stores and malls across the United States. The first location was a landmark on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood. In 2005, the store moved near the corner of Hollywood Boulevard and Highland Avenue. The entire upstairs housed many undergarments like Peg Bundy's bra from Married with Children, boxer shorts worn by Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump, black lace panties from Zaza Gabor, and underwear from the cast of Beverly Hills 90210. The company filed for bankruptcy in 2001 and again in 2015. Unfortunately, the museum has since closed. Sulab Museum of Toilets in New Delhi, India. Sanitation expert Dr. Minzwar Pathak set about bringing modern sanitation to India with a battle cry of nobody should go outside for defecation and every house in India should have a toilet. 
it was named the Sulab Sanitation Movement. The museum was created to educate people about the historical trends in the development of toilets and help other sanitation experts learn to solve problems in the sanitation sector. The lack of plumbing and access to facilities led to the death of half a million children each year because of dehydration caused by open defecation. The museum has exhibits from 50 countries and showcases the development of toilet systems of the last 5,000 years from the 3rd millennium BC to the end of the 20th century. Some of the items on display include privies, chamber pots, decorated Victorian toilet seats, toilet furniture, bidets, and water closets. Display boards have poetry related to toilets and its use. There is also a chart on display that shows the reproduction of a commode in the form of a treasure chest of the British medieval period. National Museum of Funeral History in Houston, Texas The 35,000 square foot museum opened its doors in 1992 by visionary undertaker Robert Waltrip. The utilitarian building has the ambiance of an aircraft hangar. The first major exhibit was a collection of vintage hearses which continues to expand. In 2008, the Death of the Pope's Gallery opened and features John Paul II's bulletproof Popemobile, his triple-nested coffin, a life-size diorama that creates the Pope lying in his coffin in the Vatican, and burial crypt. The main exhibit hall features one-of-a-kind coffins. These include one embedded with hundreds of dollars of U.S. coins and currency, Snow White's clear glass casket, a Coke bottle casket, and a casket for three which was made for a married couple in Durango, Colorado, who intended to kill themselves after their baby died. They didn't end up doing it and the coffin came to the museum instead. There is a Thanks for the Memories gallery featuring memorabilia from celebrities such as Michael Jackson and Jackie Kennedy Onassis. With such a large amount of exhibit space, the museum has become the largest educational center on funeral customs in the United States and possibly the world. Bata Shi Museum in Toronto, Canada Sonia Bata married Czech-Canadian Thomas Bata, who is the heir of a global shoe manufacturing and retail empire. She supported her husband in rebuilding the family business, and over the years, her business sense and passion for design allowed her to grow her professional role within the company and thus becoming an invaluable business partner for her husband. Her private collection had outgrown her home in 1979 and the Bata family established the Bata Shoe Museum Foundation. The museum opened its doors on May 6, 1995. She had a very large involvement in the global shoe industry which enabled her to build one of the finest collections in the world. Over the years, the foundation funded field work to collect and research footwear in communities where traditions are changing rapidly, notably North Americans' indigenous cultures and groups in Canada, Siberia, Alaska, and Greenland. The museum has over 13,000 shoes and related objects that span 4,500 years of history in four impressive galleries. Footwear on display include Chinese-bound foot shoes, ancient Egyptian sandals, chestnut-crushing clogs, and glamorous platforms. The Mustard Museum in Middleton, Wisconsin. Barry Levinson began collecting mustard in 1986. In 1992, he left his job as an assistant attorney general 
to open the museum after his dozen jar collection began to grow rapidly. The museum officially opened its doors on April 6, 1992. It was first named the Mount Horrid Mustard Museum until November of 2009 when it moved to Middleton and became the Mustard Museum. There are well over 6,000 varieties of mustard and various related memorabilia. Those include the exquisite Gibbons collection of mustard pots, antique tens and jars, as well as vintage advertisements. In 2002, the museum was featured on the Food Network television series, Unwrapped. The museum itself and its curator have also been on NPR's Morning Edition and Weekend Edition. And that concludes tonight's episodes of the weirdest museums from around the world. Please enjoy this promo from my friends at the ODMF podcast. Do you love listening to true crime stories? Do you react out loud to details of the case? Do you have a dark and twisted sense of humor? Do you love cats? Wait, what? Then you should listen to our podcast, ODFM. One from murder. Each week, you'll hear our retelling of real-life murder cases, some famous, some little known. We'll give you our in-the-moment reactions, inappropriate humor, and the occasional feline commentary. You can listen to ODFM Podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and more. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or on our website, odfmpodcast.com. But remember, this podcast is not for the fate of heart. Or those without a twisted sense of humor. Thank you for listening to Murder Bucket. And I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to follow me on Twitter, at The Murder Bucket. On Facebook, at Bucket Murd. And on Instagram, at Murd Bucket. <laughs>